Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 132. Today's show is brought to you by Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical is a free street-rich integrated health clinic in Eugene, Oregon. We are a 501c3, and you can check our website, occupy-medical.org. Candace Hunter Creations. Candace Hunter Creations. Candace Hunter connects students with plants to create wellness. Learn more at candacehunter.com. And Hunter Creation, graphic design and website designers, bringing your marketing ideas to reality from business cards to banners. You can find them at huntercreation.com. Ace High Heat Graphics, custom imprinted shirts, sweatshirts, hats, you name it, they can put your logo on it. You can find them at acehighheatgraphics.com. And the Herbal Nerd Society. Herbal Nerd Society is an exclusive members-only society that you can check out on our practicalherbalist.com website. And it is pre- it is wonderful content. It's a little more advanced for folks. We have a article out or some kind of special treasure out every week. We've had uh, you also get you also get uh, access to all of our past podcasts. And we've had uh, special features called the Let's Talk series, which has many of our guests talking, just spending a little bit of time talking about something that's very specific. What is it this month, Candice? Is it, it's how to understand herbal research, I believe, from one of our um, past guests, Yaakov Sledeland. And that's a, that's a, a really important way of becoming a good herbalist is to figure out how to read the research. And those are the practical kind of things that our guests spend time talking about. And of course, those articles, we're changing them a little bit now. We've had the backyard herbalist and then we've had the clinical herbalist and we're going to preserve the, um, what are we going to preserve, Candace? You tell me. We're going to still do the advanced herbalism on energetics and chemistry. Yes, that's what we are going to do. And then we've got a new one coming out on formulations, how to put the herb into formulations. Yep. Yep. And so, for only four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine for the year, you can be an Herbal Nerd Society member. Mm-hmm. All right. The last sponsor of the day is the Journal of... Functional Herbalism okay. from the folks at the School of Eclectic Herbalism, Herbal Medicine. You can find them at functionalherbalism.com. We have some great events coming up. In fact, one of the first events that we're going to talk about is an event that the Practical Herbalist is going to sponsor. Yay! Yes. So it's, it's in Vanita. It's on May 5th. Where's Vanita? Where's Vanita? Where's Vanita? It's in Oregon. Yes, it is. It in is the well, in Oregon. Willamette Valley. Correct. Yeah, it's just a little little bit left of uh, Eugene. Mm-hmm. Or right, if you're coming south. Nestled yeah. between Eugene and the coastal mountains. Nestled. Oh, nestled. Nestled is wonderful. Right. They're yeah. going to have, so this year for their, uh, the Botanic Fest that's doing Herb Day is, uh, hops is the herb of the year. And it's going to run from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. There's going to be booths. There's going to be activities, herbal vendors, um, food, or herbal tea. There's going to be a beer garden because it is the year of hops. Oh, All yeah, right. that's a good idea. That's yeah. at the Applegate Regional Theater on Central Road, I right. do believe. So live music and guest speakers. And I believe, Sue, you're speaking. I'm Candace, one of the speakers. I think Scandis yep. is speaking yep. now. We're so both on the list. Yep. if you are looking for a fun herbal event, Herb, herb Day, is free and it's in Vanita and we hope to see you there. Yeah. Last year I picked up some great 
Great deals on plants, some herbs, of course. Awesome. Oh, there was a whole bunch of stuff there. It's wonderful. Perfect timing. Yep. And on right now, on the top of our website, there's a banner ad. And if you want more information that and click on that, that link will go right to their Facebook event page. All right. The second big event of May is? May 6th. And what is that? That's so? the Free Herbalism Project. And they're... This is something that is sponsored by Mountain Rose, and it takes place at one of my, what I call my second home at Mount Pisgah Arboretum. And this is again in Eugene, Oregon. And it's this beautiful seven, uh, seven, there's like seven miles of trails there that you can walk through those fabulous, pristine, mountainy, you know, valley kind of uh, place with all these beautiful native plants. And Thomas Easley and Missy Rose will be speaking there. Yeah, it's going to be really some wonderful talks from both of them. I'm excited about that. Yes, yeah. So unfortunately, I won't be able to be there, but they do record it. And, uh, you know, I've listened to some of them a lot of times afterwards because it's always on a Sunday. Yeah, it's always on a Sunday. I always work on a Sunday. Oh, but the rest of y'all can go. (laughs) Well, except for that time when you spoke. Oh, yes, I did speak. Yeah, yes. That festival. Yeah. Uh, But then I went right back to clinic afterwards. The next. Uh, event is the Traditional Roots Herbal Conference, uh, May 18th through the 20th. So that one is through NUNM, which is on Porter Street in Portland. And that one, uh, I'll be speaking to for two of those. It's a it's it's tailored towards naturopathic physicians, which they get their they get their education there. But it is open to the public and they're the workshops and classes will range in and they'll list it right on the program, the complexity of them. So if you're a new person in herbs, then you would go to the beginning classes and they have mid range and more advanced and et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of different things that folks can check out there. And the enrollment is still open. I'll be speaking on two things. One is herbs for mental health conditions. And then another one, I'll be walking through a garden talking about how to involve community in a health clinic. Great. And the last big conference or event that we know about is on May 20th, which would be the Wildflower Fest, which is at Mount Pisgah Arboretum in Eugene. And um, not sure if you went to Mount, Mount Pisgah website, you'd find more information. Oh, about yes, it, most sure. definitely. That is a beautiful event that all of us in this room, mm-hmm. Patrick and mm-hmm. Candace and myself, we've always gone to and they've got great deals on plants because we always need more plants yes indeed Uh, yeah and they have free herb walks and then their their big pavilion is filled with plant samples and they're they're correctly identified so i've seen a lot of people going oh i have this plant and then they take a picture with the card right there right so So you can remember what it is (laughs) exactly it's brilliant (laughs) yeah and that's a fundraiser for mount pisgah which is a nonprofit organization herbalism is evolving just like the plants we love With the modern era's unprecedented access to information, we're learning, adapting, and changing our approach incrementally and at an incredible pace. Today we're talking with Dr. Bill Rawls, author of Unlocking Lyme and specialist in herbal and natural treatment plans for helping people overcome chronic illness and restore wellness about perspectives on modern herbalism. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And And welcome welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome back, Dr. Bill. Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, thank you for another invitation. I am, I am, <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you with us today. 
Yeah, we've, we've enjoyed reading your book, uh, Unlocking Lyme Myths, Truths, and Practical Solutions for Chronic Lyme Disease. And it just keeps our heads spinning about different ways to just approach herbalism in general. Well, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately and that's I think I'm seeing happening more is we're starting to be a lot more cross-disciplinal. Disciplinary. Disciplinary. Which we're, we're crossing disciplines. Integrated, integrated Integra- health. Yes, integrated. And I, I see you as someone who's really forging the way for us on that. How... how how do you get there? Yeah. How have you done what you've done? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us your it's, secrets. Uh, well, uh, I, I, guess, I guess I've always been a little bit of a renegade. But um, so uh, my training as a physician set me up to approach herbalism very differently. And the timing with my need for herbalism, um, for, for herbs and recovery from Lyme disease, I... I uh, I started reading uh, interesting people who I think are are really pioneers in um, in what I would call modern herbalism. And you know, when you look at herbalism prior to the internet, it was mostly restricted to specific dis- disciplines like Ayurvedic uh, herbalism in India and traditional Chinese medicine and and medicine from the Amazon. And now, because of the internet, all of this information is coming together, and it's uh, and it's suddenly available to anyone and everyone uh, through books, through internet. Um, there are more studies on herbs in the past thirty years than there have been in the past three hundred years. We truly know so much about herbs now; uh, it's just really unbelievable. Yeah, it's become an international community, and it's become an in- Herbs have become an international practice and in integrating those as we talk to each other culturally. And it's have a huge effect on the way that we can treat our patients. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's opened up a whole new world. And um, uh, I, you know, I, I think any level of herbalism is great. I'm not trying to knock uh, any traditional practice of herbalism. But what I see is there are many herbalists that are starting to embrace different herbs from different disciplines and looking at the uh, biochemistry of the herb and how that's affecting human physiology and how we can combine different herbs from different places to get unique and profound effects. Uh, And it's really exciting. It is really exciting. And I think that for like those of us like myself, I, the the language of a lot of traditional herbalists, you know, hot, cold, bitter, all of that stuff, that is something that is easy for me to understand. But to just rely on that alone is not enough for me. I need to look at the studies. That's it's really important to be able to understand. Okay, I know bitter is the taste of this herb, but why? What is that? What are the chemicals? So that I can speak to people who don't necessarily think as metaphorically as I do. Mm-hmm. I think people that's, like me. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> I think that's important for all of us. Yeah, yeah. In the little clinic that I work in, we have such a diversity because it's a, a street reach and it's a free clinic. So we have a good diversity of folks that come in from a variety of cultures. And as an herbalist, just being a Western herbalist wasn't good enough. I had to know the herbs that. my patients were comfortable with from their own traditions. Uh, Folks from Haiti, 
for example, they had a specific set of herbs that they were more comfortable with. And I needed to know what those were so that I could recommend them based on what their their situation was, the condition was that they needed support with, as well as, you know, the folks that were coming in from Guatemala or people that um, came from, uh, we had people that came from uh, Tanzania. There's a whole variety. We have an international community and being able to talk to people in a language that they understood, in a herbal language that they understood, became so vital. It's really expanded my own horizons as an herbalist. One of the things that you speak about in Unlocking Lyme is uh, following a holistic approach to treatment. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that is changing modern herbalism? Well, I think when you look at chronic illness, as we talked about in the last show, it's it's not um, the body just doesn't become ill. Everything that ever happens, um, at least in our universe, is a matter of cause and effect. So there are specific causes. There are things that cause us to become ill. And how we become ill is partially a function of our genes, but having a certain gene does not mean that you will get a certain illness. Um, you know, it's, it's like some of the worst uh, gene inheritances, uh, the BRCA1 and 2 for breast cancer. Everybody looks and says, well, it's a horrible increase in breast cancer. Yeah, but what about the 60 plus percent of people that never get ill? Mm-hmm. Um, and that suggests that even with a bad gene, environmental factors are huge. And so when you start tracing illness back to environmental factors, it's our food, it's our stress, it's, uh, it's toxins, it's free radicals. Uh, so you can really trace out, and it's certainly microbes. Um, when you think about it, when you look out there at those plants, mm-hmm. they're having to deal with all those same stress factors that we are. They're having, they, they're bombarded with radiation, they have physical stress, they have toxins, they certainly have a wide range of microbes, um, and, you know, maybe even a little emotional stress. Um, they have, uh, you know, a, a, they have a vascular system that they have to maintain, they have hormone systems that have to be maintained. And so when you look at the biochemistry of a plant, it's there for a purpose, um, it is it is counteracting all those stress factors. So when we take a plant, those bio that biochemistry in our body, we're gaining those same benefits that are produced by the plant. But when you you know when you look at that, uh, there's certain plants out there. There's certainly toxins to us. But the things that we've defined as medicinal herbs are the things that we've, by trial and error, found how to be helpful to us and, and mesh particularly well with our own biochemistry for thousands of years. So when you start looking at herbology from that point of view, um, it's, it's fairly interesting. It, it's, a, it's a different way to think about it. It is, and I think access through the internet to like the studies that you know that start to break that down and explain that to us has been key to some of the changes that we're seeing in the herbal herbal world. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I'm really. It, you look at all the drug studies out there, and there's a lot of money in drugs for sure, but there is a lot of research going on in herbs around the world. Uh, much of it outside of this country. But because of the Internet, all of those things are becoming together. 
And it's the little pieces of information that help us build a puzzle of what these things are doing in our body and how we can best use them. Um, so when, when we look at plants, um, different plants grown in different places. Uh, you know, I had a botanist tell me one time, plants don't grow where they want to grow. They grow where they can grow. And, and so a particular plant had, that is in been one environment has had to deal with specific kinds of microbes and stress factors that may be different from another plant that's across the world. So, but when you blend those things, you get this wonderful synergy that's just extraordinary. So, uh, have you found that that kind of, that uh, has an effect on your, the patients that you're dealing with? Uh, on patients? Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's. Um, I have been integrating herbs into my medical practice for 10 years, and uh, we've gone on from that to, uh, you know, part of the frustration of, of herbs is finding the really good quality stuff. Um, <laughs> so I did uh, form a company with my daughter that we've uh, created blends out of the best extracts for that we found that we can, we source our ingredients all the way down to the farm um, and looking for that spectacular ingredient at the highest concentration that we can do to get those really beneficial effects. And yes, through, uh, through my medical practice, but more through our programs, uh, we're having some pretty extraordinary results. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. That is really exciting. Where do you see the field of herbalism going at this point? I think it will remain grassroots but grow very rapidly. And I think people, lay people, will embrace it um, and learn about it. And it will become more and more and more the standard. And eventually the mainstream medical system will have to recognize it because it has become such a such a such a spectacular thing that it can't be overlooked. Well, it is integrating into the medical field, whether <laughs> the medicine and the the pharmaceutical companies, whether they like it or not. We do have aloe in surgical bandages and different things like that. We're seeing it, particularly wound care. There's a lot more integration. I've been noticing there's a change in the way herbalists have been talking and slowly in the way that uh, medical doctors have been talking about instead of just symptom management, which is really where the big, big focus has been on to help not only with prevention, but help support people so they can, like you were talking about, just keep control of their own life and uh, make make provisions in changes of st- stuff that they, they, they do have some control over to, to take their lives back from some of these diseases that have overwhelmed them. Yeah. It's, um, herbs are so forgiving that they're easy for people to embrace. Um, it's, uh, it, 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 the, the potential for harm with herbal therapy is so low that I would ask a person that's not doing herbal therapy, why? I mean, it's it's herbs are doing so much to counteract the, the the forces that are causing aging and illness, and they're so important for recovery from chronic illness. 
Uh, it's just, and the toxicity is so remarkably low because they blend with our biochemistry so well. There's really very little reason not to use herbal therapy. And um, it's, uh, there, there are different levels that, of using herbal therapy, whether you're using them as a restorative approach or whether you're trying to treat symptoms. Um, but so many of our, our toxic pharmaceutical therapies Though there is a place for them, um, they probably should be left for when we need something really, truly heroic. Yeah. So you also have in your book, um, Unlocking Lyme, you talked a lot about how people should be refining their diet. And that's another thing that I'm noticing is reemerging with herbalists is they're talking more about people's diet and recommending ways of of relieving stress, uh, exercise, etc., can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yes. Everybody should eat more vegetables than anything else. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's yes. All. agree. That's, that's all. Um, whether you go to be a vegetarian or whether you uh, stay with uh, uh, meat sources like um, uh, salmon and poultry and maybe occasionally red meat, um, as long as you're eating more vegetables than any other source of food, I think you'll be fine. Um, cultivated grains uh, are a problem when they are processed excessively. Um, uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about wheat and gluten sensitivity and, and certain problems with corn, and it's because our food supply is so remarkably saturated with it. Um, but interestingly, I was reading the other day some impressions on people who are gluten sensitive, but they went to France and they eat ate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, bread that had been um, uh, done in a traditional way, and they, they were surprised that they didn't have any problem with it. So I don't think we should exclude grains from our diet, or I don't think you necessarily have to exclude grains. White rice is well-tolerated. Um, some of the uh, other uh, grain alternatives like quinoa, buckwheat, things like that um, are generally fairly well-tolerated. It's just that that should be a fairly minor part of your diet. Um, And if you go to any restaurant, your plate's going to be full of starch and fat. There's not going to be much in the way of of vegetables except that salad on the side that if you boiled it down, you'd get about a tablespoon of actual substance there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But embracing vegetables is probably the most important dietary thing that anyone can do. Yeah, and it's all the colors of the rainbow, not just lettuce, for instance. You want to get all the colors, right? Uh, pardon? You want to get all the colors of the rainbow for your vegetables, not just like one or two, not just green. Absolutely. <laughs> all the Absolutely. colors. Absolutely. I mean, my, my refrigerator is packed full of vegetables, fresh vegetables. I go to the store a couple of times a week just to buy vegetables. Mm-hmm. And uh, But finding creative ways to, to eat them so that they're really pleasant, and that's yeah. where your culinary herbs come in. And it's respecting that need for starch and fat that we all have. I mean, that's what yeah. drives our taste buds because we all uh, we need energy to function. Um, but uh, incorporating at least 50% vegetables and finding creative ways to make them really enjoyable um, is certainly one aspect of health that I think a lot of people are missing out on. Uh, um, there are... 
there are a lot of articles out there now talking about how the grains are harvested. And for conventional grains, one of the things that the industry is doing is harvesting the wheat and then spraying it with Roundup so that the wheat releases its grains. And that's just one great way to pump people with more toxins. That's scary. Mm -hmm. That's really scary. It is really scary. (laughs) But I know some people are speculating that perhaps it's that extra dose of of pesticides or herbicides that people are reacting to and perhaps as opposed to the gluten itself for some folks. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you look at all the good and all the bad in our world right now, um, you have to think about petroleum. Mm-hmm. And petroleum is why we are talking to each other from a couple of thousand miles away and why I could be on a plane tomorrow and get there in half a day. Um, and, and, but, and so a lot of wonderful things, our climate-controlled environments, um, so many wonderful things that enhance our lives are petroleum-derived. But so many of the things that are the pressures that are causing this illness are petroleum-derived. Um, so, you know, if you wanted wheat back in 1910, you'd have to go and get a plow and a mule and <laughs> dig a rut in the ground and plant wheat and harvest it, and it's going to require a lot of labor. Now, one guy on a tractor the size of a house that's petroleum-driven can produce enough food to, to feed half an, a nation. Yeah. Um, and it's just crazy. So we're mass-producing our food, and, and this thing of generating more food, more grain, more more starch to feed a growing population is just crazy. Um, it's just going to grow the population. Um, we really need to get off of that thought. It's just not uh, a functional approach to, to maintaining a healthy planet. Um, but, you know, we do have the resources that now we could start cutting our populations back by attrition and everybody enjoying that wonderful lifestyle and, and enjoying the blessing that petroleum had given, has given us for a lot longer. Um, but it's uh, but we must change the way we do food. And uh, food automation is one thing, but uh, producing mass-producing starch from grain is just scary. Do you feel that... For individual families, focusing on as organic as possible is one of the most important components in that change. I think fresh vegetables are more important than organic. Um, organic's great. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, if you've got a choice between an old shriveled up piece of broccoli and a fresh piece of broccoli that's not organic, take the fresh. There's yeah. um, <laughs> some mold toxins in that other that are harmful. Yeah. Um, so... I, I, there's a there's a group called the um, what's the name of it the environmental group. There's an environmental group out there um, that it publishes information about which foods to buy organic. But basically, oh, yeah. if something is thin skinned like a tomato, it's going to pick up toxins a lot easier than something that's thick skinned. So cucumbers and things that you can peel. Don't bother. Watermelons, don't bother. Um, It's not that big a deal. Blueberries, yeah, probably so. But, you know, the value of a blueberry, even if it's not organic, is pretty profound. 
Um, so it's just getting that fresh food in your diet rather than that that processed food. I mean, you know, I see people coming out of the grocery store with carts full of plastic bags full of food that I can't even recognize. Um, and that's just crazy. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it, it is a great source of illness in our, in our culture. Yeah. I remember being a kid and walking down the grocery store with my mom and the frozen section was almost entirely one kind of just plain old vegetable or another, you know, bag of peas or bag of corn or bag of whatever. And now I go down to that same section and the amount of actual just vegetables, plain vegetables you can get is minuscule compared to the, the processed, processed things yeah. that people are buying. And I personally find myself astounded that anyone would eat any of that because I want it. I don't even want it frozen unless I froze it myself. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, It's easy. You know, we tend to do what's easy and we tend to do what the things that hit our taste buds. Yeah. Um, you know, we are driven by the need for energy. We have to have energy to survive. And we get our energy from starches and fats. And if you look back before about 1900, fat with food was very, very deficient in starch and fat. Um, those were high-priced commodities. Yeah. So it wasn't until petroleum came along that we saturated our food supply with carbohydrate and fat because that's what we want. Um, it's, uh, you know, we don't like the taste of a piece of broccoli. A piece of bread is much more satisfying because it's got carbohydrate in it. And our, everything in our brain is telling us, eat the carbs and fat, eat the carbs and fat. So you really have to appease those tastes of carbohydrate and fat to make vegetables taste good. But, um, you know, if you look more at the paleo diets, um, you, you, you couldn't get starch and fat to any quality uh, for most of human existence. So it's, um, it, it, it's only been recently that we've been able to just totally destroy ourselves by, by, um, by eating the quantities that we do because we're so driven by it. Yeah. Well, and the more that we eat those things, the more our tastes and our desires change to want just that i mean like you said the broccoli doesn't taste as good as the bread and i for myself i would say oh i agree with you for most of my life but honestly in the last three or four years because i've been eschewing bread because it's just not great for me personally right and i've been eating a lot more fresh vegetables i've gotten to the point where i'll even eat salads without dressing and be really perfectly happy and I, sure. I noticed that recently. I was like, wow, that's a huge change for me because I hated salad for a large portion right. of my life. So as we it, change. It's a mindset. And, and what it says is that you've evolved. Then you <laughs> eat food. Oh, now she, there, we can't live with her anymore. <laughs> you, food, you, you respect food for the benefits that it offers and how it, it enriches your being. Whereas most people are driven to eat food because they are hungry. Yeah. And there's a difference. So you see food very differently than the average person now. And, and I, I can identify with that. You know, I, I would much rather have uh, a well-done vegetable dish than uh, just a big bowl of pasta with, with some cheap sauce on it. Yeah. Um, and it's... Um, yeah, so so it's a mindset. It's moving past that drive toward what honestly enriches your body. 
And I think that's important. And, um, and I think that's where herbs play a huge role too. You know, part of our food problem is that when you look at any foods, even the good vegetables, um, even the broccoli and the asparagus and everything else, those foods have been cultivated specifically to produce more starch, more food yeah. sources, all right? Yeah. I mean, if you looked at any of our things that are we call vegetables now a couple of hundred years ago, you wouldn't recognize them. Oh, yeah. Um, so we've even, cultivated yeah. all of our foods to have more starch and or more fat. And in doing so, the plants have given up the ability to protect themselves. The plants can't protect themselves uh, from pe- from pests and other kinds of sources because all their resources are being pushed toward generating food. Um, so it's um, so this isn't just an observation that I've made. Herbs, we haven't done that. Herbs, we've pushed the other way to produce all these wonderful chemicals. But we use a lot of pesticides and herbicides in our food because our our food can't protect themselves. Our food plants are very delicate. Um, so that's another reason why we really should be incorporating a lot of herbs into our food because foods haven't been cultivated or herbs haven't been cultivated to produce food. They are loaded with protective chemicals. You don't need to use pesticides on herbs because they're already there. Right. So that's that's uh, something cool. I think that it's just worth noting about herbs and another reason why they're so important. Well, you, you couldn't get a, a better crowd to agree with you than this uh, particular podcast. Hundred <laughs> percent. Some some good listeners there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I remembered it. It's Environmental Working Group. I'll Thank give you. them a plug. E E W E Environmental um, and they do a lot of good things to publish information about, you know, what kind of sunscreen is best and what foods you should eat that organic and what foods are okay not to eat organic. Uh, so that's a really good resource. Nice. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming on our show and we love well, talking you. to you. You're just a fountain of information. How do people get a hold of you past this show what are some other links for getting a hold of dr bill yeah probably the best connection is my website rawls md r-a-w-l-s-m-d.com and uh, there's a lot of information there there's connections um and we we do have another website that uh, my daughter and i work together to produce supplements that are very high grade um, and you can get to that um, through other resources like the book and uh, the Rawls MD website. But the Rawls MD website has got lots of great information. Uh, we're working to start a health coaching program to help people embrace this restorative herbal pathway that's so important for recovering from chronic illness. And uh, I invite any, anyone and everyone to come take a look. Thank you very much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much. And you know now what time it is, guys? It's time to put an herb on it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA. They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast 
or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.